The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. Today, we're discussing The Rings of Power, Episode 6, titled Udun. I'm Thomas Salerno, and joining me today are Caitlin Fasista. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, how's it going? Good. And Jeff Hecker. Hi, Jeff. Dompot. <laughs> Udun. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the captain of our fellowship, uh, Thomas Sanjuro, unfortunately couldn't join us this week, which is a shame because I would have loved his thoughts on some of the ideas that are brought up in this episode, but I'm sure we'll get to ask him all about it next time. Uh, be sure to follow the secrets of middle earth in Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast directory or app. You can find us on social media at facebook.com slash or on Twitter where we're at at SQPN or on Instagram where we are at StarQuest network. Definitely be sure to share the show because it helps get the word out. Um, I think this is a great podcast because unlike, unlike some of the other material I've seen out there, we don't focus on sensationalism. We try to take a more balanced and analytical approach here. So if you know any Tolkien fans who'd be interested in our discussions, please let them know about the secrets of Middle Earth. And as always, we got some great feedback uh, on our last discussion. I'd like to highlight a comment we got from Sarah Kunzi, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Sarah, on YouTube. She says, I'm really glad I discovered this podcast. I've enjoyed every episode so far. A couple of observations on the Elrond story. I was rewatching episode four and the scene where Celebrimbor tells Elrond that story about Arendil supposedly foretelling that Elrond would help him seems like such another obvious manipulation in retrospect especially because right afterwards he asked Elrond to figure out what's going on with Durin. Combined with everything in episode five, I share your speculation that Sauron is already influencing this. Also, I thought it was interesting that Elrond did not directly tell Durin that he had broken the oath, even though he admitted to not being truthful and that the elves were after Mithril. I can't tell if it was a deliberate choice on the part of Elrond to conveniently leave out the detail where he actually handed a piece of it to Celebrimbor, the oath itself was given so much weight, so it feels odd that Durin would let that go. Anyway, keep up the fantastic job. Thanks so much, Sarah. And I wanted to ask you guys uh, briefly what you think about Celebrimbor, because I'd actually had some similar thoughts. Is he genuinely being Elrond's friend, or has he really been subtly manipulating him the entire time? using stories about his dad. I think he's being super manipulative. I think he sees that Elrond is an orphan and he's playing on that, on how much he misses his dad and how much he thinks about his dad. You mean, we see him looking up to the night sky all the time and he's probably just wishing he had his dad with him. And um, I think Celebrimbor is definitely monopolizing on that because he's, uh, he's just acting so suspicious. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I think he's definitely manipulating him. And uh, it, <laughs> talking about that reminds me of when kind of they first did those, some of the images of Celebrimbor 
some of the first comparisons were saying he looks like he's going to watch Skywalker's career with great interest. So comparing him to oh. <laughs> <laughs> comparing him to Palpatine, and you know, who was the ultimate oh, wow. manipulator. So the robes, it, yeah, yeah, the robes, and even the hair. And um, I think he, I think Kel Brimbor does have good intentions, at least as far as what he's wanting, what his goal is. But I think he, I, my theory is that Sauron is is at work amongst the elves already. Um, I did have a crazy theory or crazy thought that maybe Kel Brimbor is Sauron somehow. I don't think that's right, but that was just, you know, spe- speculating wildly. You have to think of everybody as Sauron right now. So, um, but yeah, no, he's definitely manipulating Elrond, even if he's still trying, even if he's being friendly. And I don't think he has bad intentions toward Elrond, but I think he's definitely monopolizing, like you said, Caitlin, on the connection to his dad and, um, he is, yeah, he is an orphan, and but he can see his father every every day. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about later about some another character who may or may not be Sauron. Uh, and we, <laughs> we have a funny thing uh, connected to that. But uh, in, in terms of this episode, I thought this episode was firing on all cylinders and there's a lot to talk about. And so I think the best thing to do is to briefly summarize the plot and then we can get in-depth about all the standout moments and themes. So, uh, so Jeff, I believe you have a plot summary for us. I do. So, in this episode, the good Southlanders are under siege. A Rondir traps some of Adar's forces inside the fortress and destroys the tower while the Southlanders fall back to their town. A Rondir hides the Keyblade, even from Bronwyn, but Theo watches where he hides it. A Rondir and Bronwyn then lead the defense against the invaders only to find out most of them are actually the villagers who, who left them. The remaining orcs attack wounding Bronwyn and forcing the Southlanders to fall back to the Winchester to wait for this whole thing to blow over. The orcs break in and Theo gives up the keyblade to save Bronwyn. Meanwhile, the Numenorians are sailing to middle earth with some hints to the future kingdoms founded by Elendil. They arrive very conveniently in time to defeat the orcs and Halbrand is hailed as king but Adar escapes with the Keyblade, dot, 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 or does he? He is caught by Galadriel and Halbrand, who knows Adar. They take it back from him, not realizing Adar switched the Keyblade for another weapon. Waldrig then uses the Keyblade to release the river. It floods the tunnels through the land, igniting the dormant Orodruin, a.k.a. Mount Doom. The resulting eruption blankets the land in fire and ash. Yeah, so like, like we said, very, very action-heavy episode. There's a lot going on. I appreciated, Jeff, the Keyblade Kingdom Hearts <laughs> reference. And like, I'm surprised I didn't think of that earlier when Wildrig uses it literally as a key. You know, and it reminded me because in the previous episode, they, they even mentioned, oh, it's a key, a key to mm-hmm. what? And I'm like, oh, it's a literal key. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if it if they meant it was going to be, you know, the the important thing that he needed but i didn't know he was actually going to unlock something with it yeah like i i think you may have thought of this too jeff from something you said in your summary but when the when the water starts pouring out of the lake did you instantly think of the the ants from the peter jackson movie release the river I did, yeah it, that yeah. is exactly what i thought of i was just like you need some ants over there some kind of i guess you would need trolls because the the trolls are kind of the anti-ent to say that right but, yeah uh, so far we haven't seen any yeah so uh, g- going back to the uh, beginning of the episode i wanted to talk about that first scene where adar 
is secretly planting the Alpharin seeds before battle, which we'll learn later in the episode is kind of a an elven pre-battle ritual. And it's interesting. He 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 buries the seeds in the ground and he says in Elvish, new life in defiance of death. And that's a theme that kind of goes through this whole episode. And I thought that was very interesting because that's very Tolkien because it ties into our Catholic faith of, you know, resurrection. And as I was even thinking about it afterwards, I thought of the the gospel quote where it talks about, you know, if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it multiplies and stuff. What what did you guys think of that as like uh, both as a theme and just of adding this little bit of world building as like an elven ri- pre-battle ritual? I thought it was really sweet. I um I love how much we are getting a humanized uh look at Adar um because well he's one of the characters I've been most excited about ever since the posters came out just because he's been such a mysterious character. And even though I don't think he's like a a specifically canon character, um, it's been really cool. Every little glimpse that we've gotten to see of him, I feel like we've learned so much, even though it's been short. And I really liked how it kind of connected him to elven culture, showing that he's, he is extremely far away from kind of the way the elves were meant to be, but he's still an elf. And uh, I mean, mostly, I guess, even though I guess he identifies as an Uruk, um, he still is, you know, created by Luvatar and um, he has this elvish tradition that he's holding on to. And I thought it was really sweet. And then how it tied in later on in the episode, I thought it was cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get into that philosophical debate later uh, in the episode. But uh Oh, what did you think, Jeff, about this 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 glimpse into Adar's psyche? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I I didn't expect to see. So one of the concerns I had, and this kind of ties into how we'll talk later, but was that they're going to make the orcs be like a villain you want to, you know, like because most good villains are ones that end up can become good, and they're kind of the usually the more interesting characters. So one of my kind of concerns with the shows they were going to do that with orcs they were going to make them into like oh there's going to be an orc that's going to be turned into a good guy somehow um which um so i i like that they're that they're uh adar is kind of taking that role instead of an orc uh currently um i guess they could go more of the orc route but i don't think they will at this point in that in that scene so i i have to go back and watch the previous episodes but i noticed that he was and I, I didn't, I should have paid attention more later, but he, he was wearing a, one arm was, one hand was armored and the other hand was not. And I'm wondering if we go back and look, was his hand armored the whole time? Cause there, there was, I know we speculated before that one of the character that one of the people he could be is one of the sons of Feanor who, or I, I believe sons of Feanor, maybe one of the house of Feanor at least who tried to hold a Silmaril and his hand burned, uh, so I was wondering, it just kind of had that thought in my mind is, as we were watching that. Now, again, I, I didn't go back to confirm if he were, had his hand in armor the whole time, but uh, it could have been just he took, they just showed it that way. But um, so I kind of had that, that thought more than thinking about the, the new life. But it was an interesting ritual um, that, he was, that he was doing, uh, which 
it doesn't sound like those seeds are going to get uh, <laughs> going to get grown anytime <laughs> soon. But we, we, she must have like, known, but yeah. she does it anyway. <laughs> right. And I did see that when later on in the episode, when Galadriel has him chained up, he does have his glove off. And okay. so oh. you can see that he does, in fact, have two hands. Okay. Um, and I, you can't get a very good look at them, but they both appear to be about the same level of disfigured kind of the way that okay. his face is like maybe his entire body was burned somehow but mm. i like I, I couldn't get a good look at his hand but it doesn't appear to be like way way off worse than, okay. than the other hand yeah like i said i didn't have the chance to go back and like watch it through the whole up watch his hand through the whole episode yeah and definitely in previous episodes he's had that gauntlet mm-hmm. but i i guess it that it, it may have just been misdirection to get like fans who who really know the Silmarillion, like speculating about his identity. Probably, yeah. And it, it looked very much like like the gauntlet that Sauron has worn in the films. The in the brief prelude, it looked very similar to that. Um, when the, the brief moments we see it, so yeah, I remember when the posters came out, everyone was just like, "Oh, well, that must be Sauron." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and and, and I, I don't even think. Up on, up until we learned his name, that poster didn't have a character name attached to it like all the others did. No, I, I don't. I don't even know if it does. Still, I haven't went back and checked on the Amazon press page in a couple of weeks. But even after the show started, it's they still hadn't listed his name on there. Oh wow! Okay, that that's which I thought was so weird. Well, if it's not his real name, though, in which we yeah. could we could find uh, out his his real name. I, mm-hmm. I guess my I kind of have been thinking of him as Adar as kind of his name that he's taken on and he's mm-hmm. given up his, you know, his birth name. Uh, That's which, like his Darth Vader. Yeah, his. Yes. <laughs> we're going to find out his his given name at birth, maybe someday. Right. Yeah. And it 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 he he's he's such a fascinating character because he's. He's coming off more in this episode as more of a sympathetic villain in the sense that he has reasons for what he's doing. And unlike a lot of fantasy bad guys, like villains in the fantasy genre, he doesn't just want to use his soldiers as expendable cannon fodder. You know, he mm-hmm. he says in his speech to them, he says, you know, you are not unnamed slaves in faraway lands, but brothers. Which will, you know, he he gets more into that in his interrogation with Galadriel. But yeah, it's just he he's not like other, you know, he he's not like the kind of fantasy trope of the Dark Lord where he just has these armies of mindless slaves that do his bidding. And I, I think that makes him kind of an interesting villain to have for this first season when they're clearly saving Sauron for later. It's almost like they're it's almost like he's in some kind of like old test. It's almost like he's a biblical figure leading his people into their promised land, but it's like an yeah. anti-biblical hero kind of. Right. Um, like an anti-Moses. Yeah. Or like, like one of the judges from the, from the Old Testament. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I hadn't thought of that before. Because these are his people. Like, these are his children. Right. He says which is that. Just, yeah. It's, it's wild. I don't feel like we've seen anything like this with Tolkien before. Right. Yeah. So after um, they get their environmental kills with bringing down the tower on a bunch of orcs, 
Um, we segue uh, for briefly to the Numenorean ships. And we have, I'm really excited to talk about this scene because we have a scene where Galadriel talks to Isildur on, uh, as the sun is rising over the horizon, over Middle Earth, and Isildur is there to see the sunrise. And what was great about, about Galadriel in this scene is that I felt like this is the Galadriel we know. You know, j- j- just from the, the way she talks to Isildur, she comes off as wise, perceptive, compassionate. You know, we get a little glimpse of the Galadriel we're all familiar with. And I kind of wish that we had had more of that in previous episodes. Well, what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, no, that's that's a really great point. It was yeah very much reminiscent of of the Galadriel by the time of the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, um, I think we hadn't seen her that way before because she's been fighting for so long. Because um, I, I can't remember, do they say centuries at least, if not millennia yeah. since mm-hmm. that she was hunting Sauron. So sure, for so long she was focused just on that. I think Thomas called Thomas uh, Saint Hero called her just a ball of fight, and she kind of <laughs> yes. was. And now that she's yeah. kind of we're kind of seeing who she who she will become with all of her kind of um, statecraft on Numenor and kind of manipulate or not manipulating, but guiding people to a certain outcome, which we definitely see with her later in the in the works of Tolkien when she's advising the fellowship and building her uh, uh, building Lothlorien and all that. So I that is, I, I did like her conversation with with. Uh, Isildur and Elendil here, and especially him, her saying, you know, you'll see it in a moment, uh, talking about the the Middle Earth because she, we know elves can see much further, but yeah. So I, I just and I love that just Isildur is ready to see the see this place that he's been kind of dreaming about or um, wanting to go for so long. I also think it's really sweet because this is really one of the first times we're seeing her speaking to someone who isn't either her kind of competition or someone who's like a potential enemy. So she's had her guard up this whole time, really. Um, and you can tell with door, she's like clearly not in any danger with him. You know, she's He's he's a small child, kind of. Um, so I feel like this is this is kind of the Galadriel that we see talking to Frodo. It's it kind of reminded exactly. me in a similar way. I also like yeah. that she can see so far, like she can see um, all the way past the the horizon or whatever, because the world is still supposed to be flat at this point. Um, oh, that's right. I so totally like her forgot elf about eyes that. can see. <laughs> Like, we don't have any roundness to the earth right now, so it makes sense right. that if she can see so much better than everyone, her sight is just going to keep going on and on and on. So I liked that. Right, yeah, and I, I don't think oh. they've mentioned that so far in the show, that the earth is flat. I don't know if they're going to. They probably <laughs> won't. I think it would confuse everybody too much. <laughs> right. It would, it would drive too many people into their conspiracy theories. Yeah, flat <laughs> Middle Earth theories. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I like what um, when Isildur kind of has to admit, oh, I'm not really a proper soldier here. I'm a stable sweep. 
And she just says, you know, despise not the labor, which humbles the heart, which again is like, is, is, is very Christian, you know, like it, it, it cues you in to those kind of Tolkienian themes that it's the humble who triumph, you know, like in the Hobbit movies where Gandalf says it's the small deeds of everyday folk that turn the wheels of the world. I really like that. And she, there was also some interesting foreshadowing because she says, Humility has saved entire kingdoms that the proud have all but led to ruin, which we're mm-hmm. going to see later in terms of Numenor, right? Like, right. So. And even Isildur's life later Th- on when he, true. when he has the chance to destroy the ring and he, he doesn't. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We're, we're all so going sad. to be depressed by the time this show ends, unfortunately. Um, and we, we even have a little bit of an an interesting moment between Galadriel and Elendil, who shows up, where we learn for the first time that Isildur's mother drowned, which is interesting because Elendil, at this point, he's a sailor and he continues his career in the Navy, even though he's had this traumatic experience of losing his wife drowning. I thought that was a very interesting character detail. I wonder if he's really like I it it almost seems like maybe it wasn't that simple. Maybe there's something else that happened there. Mm. Um because it just seemed so simplistic. Like was she just out swimming and drowned and and that's it? Or you know, like it, it I imagine that there was something more going on in there that maybe he just didn't want to talk about. Especially in the right. way that he talks to a seal door a couple episodes ago when he's like the you know the watery part of this world can heal so many hurts like someone whose wife drowned i feel like they would not say that right and it may even be something this would be kind of dark but something where he he blames himself maybe for her death maybe that it was an accident and maybe he like thinks they were sailing and they got caught in a storm and she drowned in that or something right i wonder or, if they're going for like frodo's parents drowning kind of thing oh right (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i hope we'll get more of this story though because i feel like she drowned just isn't enough that doesn't really answer any of my questions yeah yeah yeah. it it, it, i I did think it was an interesting pin that they they put there which yeah i do hope that they'll come back to later um i've seen online there's been a bit of discussion about the thing that elendil says where he's like oh, I've never seen the sun rise over the land before, or I, it's been a long time since I've seen that. But people are like, oh, well, he's from the west of Numenor, so he should be used to seeing the sun rise over the land and set into the sea. So there, there was a bit of debate about that. I saw I'm in the fan community. I wonder if he's talking about because he hasn't been on the west in a while, maybe? Yeah, that that's the way I took it. Yeah. Yeah, or he's been out sailing because we don't know how long these before the when he found Galadriel, how long their voyages were, because it could have been like, you know, older, you know, the 17, 1800s here where you go out on a ship and you're gone for for six months or more. So I don't think that's what they're saying, but, you know, we don't know the length of these voyages. So and he could have. Yeah, he could have been sailing quite a ways or, you know, exploring or something. And also we know because of the ban of the Valar, the Numenorians are not allowed to sail west out of sight of Numenor. Right. So all the sailing he would have done would have been 
east of Numenor, where he would have seen the sun rise out of the sea and set over the land. So I, I think it does make sense. And I think it 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 sort of underlines the fact that, yeah, he's really left that part of his life in the west of Numenor behind him. And he's really committed himself to his naval career. Whatever whatever happened with his wife and with uh, Anarian, mm-hmm, yeah, he just I, seems to have severed completely those ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it. Just you talking about that makes me think that Anarion is maybe he maybe he is estranged from Anarion because of what happened with with his mother uh, or Ooh. with uh, with his wife, um, and you know something. Maybe she drowned saving Anarion, or you know. Could be there. We could speculate endlessly on it, but right. I, I do think we'll. It, it does sound like that we'll come back to that at some point. Because um, I mean, Elendil's getting set up to be kind of the. He's kind of the Aragorn of the show. Um, mm-hmm. At least, well, right. kind of, he he's kind of the Aragorn, and Halbrand's kind of the anti-Aragorn. So we're kind of getting <laughs> yeah. both sides right. of that. Uh, Which uh, makes that sense coin. because Elendil is, you know, mm-hmm. the. Mm-hmm great great grandfather by however many generations <laughs> of aragorn mm-hmm. and I, I i like that other thing that he says he 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 turns his foreshadowing skills on and says we're sailing into the dawn yet to me it feels like the coming of night mm-hmm. that was great that was <laughs> yeah that was a you know when you think about it in terms of the actual sun it doesn't make any sense but in terms of foreshadowing it's a, i thought it was a good line yeah, definitely. Um, there, there, there's been some criticism I've seen of the of the dialogue in this show where they're like, it doesn't have the kind of poetic feel of like Tolkien dialogue, which I mean, makes sense. It, it's not Tolkien writing yeah. the dialogue. But mm-hmm. I mean, like there, there's definitely been some clunkers, but there's also some dialogue where even in this episode, there's a few clunkers like uh, this episode was a lot better than the previous <laughs> episodes, I thought. Oh, yeah, definitely. Although when uh, when Arondir and Bronwyn give their speech, I'm like, well, that was hardly I bid you stand <laughs> men of the West. You know, I was yeah. like, <laughs> and he's kind of like, I can't hear you. And then they uh, <laughs> like we're at a pep rally or something. Although that, that's actually a good segue, because speaking of Tolkien's dialogue, uh, Bronwyn, uh, after said pep talk, after the pep rally, she has a nice uh, moment with Theo where he talks about having nightmares as a child. And I'm, I'm sure every Tolkien fan recognized it immediately. But apparently Bronwyn has had a thing she would say to comfort young Theo when he had nightmares, which is, I, I believe it's from Return of the King, the, the book, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, yeah. it's lifted almost verbatim. Uh, it goes, in the end, the shadow is but a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Find the light and the shadow will not find you. Now that last sentence is original, mm-hmm. but the rest of that is, is verbatim from Return of the King. And I, that, that, that was great. Like it, it I don't know. Uh, what, what, did you, what did you guys think of that? Was, was it forced or, or did it work for you? So I had kind of a strange response the first time I watched it. Um, I immediately started bawling upon hearing the words, but at the same time I was cringing and I was annoyed because (laughs) (laughs) like it was honestly the strangest emotional reaction I've ever had to anything in, in film or TV because 
you know, hearing those line, that line out loud, like that's one of my favorite quotes of Tolkien ever. And so it was so beautiful. But then at the same time, I was like, why would you say that to a little kid? It doesn't really make sense to comfort someone that way. Um, But then I started thinking, well, she could be standing in the very same, you know, maybe their little village was in the very same spot where Sam was standing when he had that same experience because like they're in the lands that are becoming Mordor. So geographically, it's like, you know, they could be both have, they, they both could have been looking up at the same star when this quote, maybe this quote came to them from like, I don't know, um, one of the Valar or something. I didn't like, so it was, it was annoying because it was another callback to something that hasn't happened yet. Um, but it was also really refreshing because we've had so many callbacks to the Peter Jackson films instead of the books. And so to finally have an actual callback to the actual book was really, really nice. So it was just like, I, I didn't even know what to make of it because I was crying and I was annoyed and maybe that's because I'm <laughs> nine months pregnant. But, uh, <laughs> what, what did you think? You? Yeah, Jeff, what what did you think of this? Yeah, no, uh, I... I don't I can't really top what you said, Caitlin, but but I uh, I did like that line. And um, just because I, you know, I have kids, I have kids. And so they're not quite at the point where they can tell me they're having nightmares. But there's, you know, it, I can definitely see that coming. So kind of having a I don't know that I'll say that to my kids when they have nightmares, but uh, just kind of having the, it, it's nice kind of knowing that they have that kind of go to way to kind of calm, you know, a, a kind of a comfort, not quite a nursery rhyme or not quite a lullaby, but, you know, thinking of how hard their lives must have been, um, especially with, you know, we don't know what happened to Theo's father, um, kind of having something that's kind of, you know, bittersweet, both it's, it's a beautiful kind of quote, but then it's also kind of dark and, you know, a little bit of a warning. So, um, I don't know. I, yeah, no, it was, I liked it a lot. I didn't, I didn't really have much of a response to it, but I, I did like it. Right. Yeah. We, we also got, um, payoff finally on the Arondir Bronwyn romance. We, we have their, <laughs> their, their first kiss that we've seen. And throughout this whole episode, I thought they were setting up Bronwyn to die. So did I, I. Yeah. I, I don't know what you guys thought, but I was like, oh, this is not going to end well, which then I don't know if, if it was intentional, if they intentionally subverted expectations by throwing out all these red flags that she might bite it and then having her survive. I think that's what they're doing because they want to keep us on our on our feet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so then we 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 have the whole uh, fight scene with um, attacking the village. And, and did, did did anybody else catch this? The similarity between the the villager strategy of using the wagons to entrap the orcs in that kill box. It was kind of like that scene in the scouring of the Shire. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Um, I liked that it was kind of reminiscent of that. It just reminded me of of the story of Haleth. Um, I forget which group of men she was from, but um, her father, I think it's what her father falls, and then she defends her people against orcs for, I think, three days until some elves come to her aid. And so it reminded me of her story from the Silmarillion, which is really, really cool because I know they don't really have the rights to that story. 
So it was neat to see something similar. Yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, that's right. And it, it, it's kind of a similar thing, this kind of remote village area, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like an, an invasion of orcs. And I, I also, I, I wish I could remember uh, this, this person's handle, but somebody in the Discord had mentioned that she, she's the only one of the villagers who has really any kind of color in her wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Where she has blue and, you know, which is interesting because it also kind of marks her out as kind of a Marian figure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's she's a mother. She's a healer. She's a protectress. You know, it also reminded me of Beauty and the Beast (laughs) when you have Belle, who's the only one wearing blue and she's kind of walking through the village and 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 she doesn't really fit in. Um, I'm not sure if they were going for that at all, but it, it definitely reminded me of that, too right right yeah yeah and and another thing that that really struck me about this episode was the the level of violence yeah we got and i and i'm i'm sure game of thrones fans will like you know say oh really it wasn't that violent but like for for lord of the rings i don't think we got anything that violent in the peter jackson movies like the not only do we we have the the orc mini boss that Arondir fights and there's blood gushing out of his eye onto Arondir's face, which is gross. And that and went on for a long time too. It, it went on for a really, really long time. <laughs> yeah. And, and also was, that whole yeah. scene weirded me out because especially when, when, when he's going to stab Arondir in the eye with that yeah. thing, like, of like most people, I have a phobia about things being close to my eye and like, you know, it's just like, I'm like, no, please. Can can we move on from this? Yeah, that um, was brutal. That and like just the, the, the number of stabbings that we had. In this episode, I was really surprised. I feel like they can't seem to keep their show at a consistent level of violence, like. I would think that you would want your audience who's able to watch episode one to also be able to watch episode six. But it's like every episode I'm having to determine which of my kids are allowed to watch this, which kind of causes problems. Yeah. Yeah. Like because it's like, oh, well, you know, I know you've seen episodes one through five, but I don't think you should watch six like that's kind of. I don't know, as a kid, you don't want that to happen to you. So we've been having to, you know, be like, just look away. Don't look at this part kind of. Right. Or like leave it, the room, you know. Like. Right. So it kind of, I don't know, it's a little irritating as a parent trying to having to pre-screen every single episode to to figure out how violent each one is going to be because they're just so all over the place. And a lot of it is so out of nowhere, especially thinking back to the time when Hallbrand is fighting uh, those Numenorians and he breaks that guy's arm. Right. Yeah. They keep putting that in the, um, in the, like previously on the show, on the recaps. And oh, really? like, why, why do you make me watch this over and over? Or um, Nori's dad breaking his ankle. It's like those things, like I'm an adult. I don't even want to watch those. No. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I, I, you were mentioning Caitlin before we started recording about some of the fight choreography in this episode. Yeah, I thought it was really it was 
it was very well done. I think some of it was almost a tiny bit funny, um, especially yeah. <laughs> when we have Arondir fighting that that one really big orc, and he does like a almost like a double backflip kind of roll. Um, it got me thinking, like, wow, these stunt doubles are amazing. Um, yeah, but also it it almost pulls you out a tiny bit because he just does like a almost like a three stooges kind of like roll. Oh, um, you 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 mean the the one thing where he he almost lands on his head? Yeah, he's just like rolling and rolling, <laughs> keeps rolling. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, but then there were so many other cool moments of of fighting choreography where um, there's one scene where they're using a chain to pull someone down. Um, oh yeah. Like just stuff that you wouldn't normally see, I guess, on screen and fight scenes. I thought it was very creative. Yeah, definitely. There, there was, I, and it's funny because my second watch through, I ended up looking in the background while Arandir's fight with the mini boss was going on, just oh. ju- just to see what the extras were doing, and the and the extras were actually really into it. They were still, you know, like really doing a like. It, it didn't look like they were fake fighting. Oh, that's in the good. background. So I'm like, oh, they they actually got the the extras to be really into this and and to keep going. It's like, yeah, like I, I've I've noticed uh, like like in in some scenes, obviously, like like that. I remember a few weeks ago there were people complaining that like, oh, in crowds you see the same faces over and over again, mm-hmm. where they're like duplicating extras. But that's yeah. like a thing where like you're never gonna notice that until somebody points it out to you. Yeah, I also think we do have to give them a little bit of slack because this was filmed during a worldwide pandemic. Yes. Um, Like, okay, it's going to be different than the Lord of the Rings movies because that was 20 years ago when COVID didn't exist. And this was filmed in New Zealand where they had some of the tightest COVID restrictions in the world. So that's true. You know what? It's great. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, And yeah, I I like it. One other thing that was funny was when, you know, Bronwyn is trying desperately to get the Flint and Tinder to work. And that was so like, I was like, come on, come on. What is yeah. wrong with you? <laughs> like, <laughs> It was really stressful. I was like, oh, no, oh, no. They definitely know how to keep your blood going. Like this was a really fast paced, like stressful episode. I really liked it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Although one one thing she should not have done is given away her so she she does that movie thing where when she jumps out in surprise she yells yeah she was like the war cry and i'm like oh okay i guess i've never been in that situation but i wonder if that's kind of an involuntary thing <laughs> because i noticed when halbrand was about to stab adar he also did this kind of like warrior cry and i was like well I oh, guess I've yeah. never I've never been in that situation. So maybe it's just something that your your body just does. You just kind of yell out in these moments. But I don't know. Right. Yeah. But I, I get that that he was probably also like it was his pent up rage, I guess. Yeah. At Adar. But, true. Um, true. Uh, they, they end up finding out after the ba- they, they do the fake out where they, they think they've won. Right. But it turns yeah. out that some of the orcs were actually humans in disguise. They were the traitorous Southlanders who went off to join Adar. That was such an unsettling moment. It was like pure horror. 
of, of them looking up and seeing that these are our friends. These are the people we've grown up with. And that up until three days ago, you know, or however, just a couple of days ago, like we, we were a tight knit village. Like I just thought that was horrifying and it was so well done because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, that was way too easy. There's that's ridiculous. Oh, they won the battle. Like whatever. Um, (laughs) And then that happened and I was, I was blown away. That was really good. I thought. Yeah. And I, I like how, it's discovered because Arondir notices some of the so-called orcs are bleeding red uh-huh. instead of black. I kind of think that's why they made the other scene where the orc's blood is dripping all over his face. Right. I feel like that's why they made that scene so long to make sure we noticed that that blood was black so that when we do see the red blood, we immediately see something is wrong. I can't think of any other reason you'd make that go on for so long. Right, I know. So like and 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 there was even more like uh, once the ambush happens, they really make you feel those arrow strikes. Mm-hmm. You know, those are really kinetic. I don't know if if it was something about the sound design, but you could re when somebody got shot, you almost felt it. Yeah. I think that's so different than in a lot of movies lately where someone, you know, someone can get shot with like 10 arrows and be fine. But these arrows were like, it was very clear. If you get hit with even one of these arrows, you could die. And um, I think you're right. I think it might have been the way that they presented it with the sound effects and everything. Um, But it was really powerful. Right. Yeah. Which which leads us into what I had said earlier that, like, I really thought Bronwyn was going to die in this episode when when she was shot. And especially when they're doing their kind of impromptu operation on her which Mm -hmm. i'll I'll admit in my second watch through i fast forwarded through that part yeah (laughs) i didn't want to see it again (laughs) it was a lot of blood yeah and which surprised me because i I think they even mentioned like oh she's lost too much blood but then she survives anyway well it was funny so my husband's a doctor so he's watching this you know, surgery scene and he's being very critical of it. Um, He was like, oh, well, I guess she doesn't have any internal bleeding then just close her up on both sides and she'll be fine. Um, But he was also like, yeah, you know, people have a lot of blood. She'll be fine. Oh, okay. I guess to him, she didn't seem like she lost that much blood. But I was thinking, oh, my goodness, like I was really expecting her to die um, first of all, I we haven't had any major characters die yet. And I feel like at a certain point, you're going to you're getting so far without any major losses that the show starts to feel a little bit cheesy. Like we need some That's pain, true. you know, and the whole alpha and seeds thing. Um, we'll plant a garden together after this is done. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, there's no way they're going to plant a garden together. You know, like they're setting you up to think that she was going to die. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I definitely think, yeah, th- th- that's what I felt. And especially because Alpharin is a symbol of death. Yes. It's, it's the symbol Muna, the, the white flowers that grow on the, uh, the graves of the Rohirrim. Uh, I feel very strongly that whoever has that little bottle of Alpharin seeds, because Aronder is wearing it around his neck. And I thought for a second he was going to give her the whole bottle. And then I was like, okay, well, he's going to die. So whichever one of those two has the bottle of seeds, 
is going to live in my theory because ah. then he's going to plant the seeds at whoever, you know, whichever one of them survives is going to plant those seeds at the other person's grave. Like that's gotta be where this that's is going. That's gotta be it. Yeah. Jeff, what, what did you think of the level of violence and bloodshed, especially against humans in this episode? Did, did you think it was about right or did they go a little bit overboard this time? <laughs> Yeah, this one made me glad that I I don't have kids or that my kids aren't old enough to they're not in an age where they'd be too young to really watch this because it was pretty. No, I'm 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 okay with it, but it was pretty pretty violent, especially with I don't know if, uh, with watching Arondir's fight with the the giant orc, um, how grody and <laughs> gross that was when they were when stabbing him in the eye and then it was dripping down. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, um, it was, it was, so I, I liked that it was visceral and it made you really feel like you were, you were there. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when, when Adar shows up and starts killing people and they like, they just got people straight yeah. through that. Yeah. That was gross. <laughs> yeah. And it was a little unexpected too, because he didn't really give warning at the first couple of people. No, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I liked Arondir's kind of like awesome response where he's like, "Let them go, and I'll consider giving you the hill." Mm-hmm. But Adar's like, "No, I hold all the cards here." Yeah. And uh, at least he tried, <laughs> right? At least he tried, and and Theo, who uh, apparently saw where the the hilt shard was buried in the easiest place, they buried it in. <laughs> in the tavern why didn't he go far away and bury it but <laughs> right yeah, I, I assume they they wanted where he could get to it easily enough for whatever reason um maybe even to use as like a final bargaining chip so that could be why he didn't go too far with it but yeah it was i was expecting we around here to be like okay follow me into this kind of secluded path into this hidden spot and mm-hmm. he was like it's right there <laughs> it's right yeah, there was... on the floor at first i thought it was a decoy but it was not it was the real deal now there will end up being a decoy later which was another great misdirection by the way because at once the numenorean cavalry starts to charge and i i loved the uh the, the rumble of yeah. thunder it, it reminded that there's a line from I think it's from Return of the King where they talk about the charge of the Rohirrim as being like a storm upon the plain and a thunder in the mountains. Oh, wow. And, and that's exactly what went through my head when I saw the cavalry charge. But mm-hmm. yeah, so my so the first time I watched this, I was very I was a little bit annoyed at just the timing of, of it all of the <laughs> two of them like, yeah, dawn mm-hmm. breaking the the villagers are just about are about to give up and are pretty much done for. And then. You know, uh, on the there, then the cavalry, literally the cavalry <laughs> arrives to <laughs> right. to save the day. Now, on my second watch, it didn't bother because I just accepted the the fact that this is what it is, and if I I can either enjoy it or I because it is it does it, it is very visually and um, audio 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 or you know it sounded great. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of the word. Um, it sounded really good. So I enjoyed it more that seeing that scene in the arrival, just that the second time, the first time was like, okay, they really got there right. Exactly at the right moment to, (laughs) to save them. Um, It could have been really interesting if they arrived to a ruined village and uh, (laughs) Hobbrand was was like, yeah, he brought me back for, yeah, yeah, he brought me back for this. And that kind of being another, like kind of 
point of conflict, but I get but from I, a from a story perspective why, but I feel like if you think about it though, Tolkien does this all the time. He like does. it it he maybe does. feels a little bit tired because Tolkien like mastered this. I mean, this is like a perfect you catastrophe. Like yeah. Yeah. all hope is gone and there's the happy turn. And so this is like it feels cheesy, but this is Tolkien. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I watched it the second time, and it, I I just didn't it didn't even bother me. It was just kind of in the moment. I, the first time I was like, oh, really? They're already there. Yeah. But yeah, but once I got past that, I so it's it's kind of I think a good you know byline for this series is maybe if you're if on first watch you didn't like it because it wasn't exactly what you thought Tolkien should be, maybe give it a give it a second watch, and you might. Um, and if you just enjoy it for what it is, you might find find yourself enjoying it the second time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's kind of what I've been doing is like viewing this as as like a reimagining, but a reimagining that at least so far has kept kind of the spirit of Tolkien, which is what I've I've really been appreciating about it. Um, but it really what happens in this fight scene is that. Well, everything that the Numenorians in the village, what they are doing is kind of ancillary to the plot, because really what's important is that Adar is trying to escape and both Galadriel and Halbrand go after him because they believe he has the hilt shard. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when they when they finally uh, I was really worried for that horse, by the way, when when Halbrand hit trips Adar's horse. The first thing I said when I was watching it with my brother was no animals were harmed in the making of this television <laughs> series. But uh, and apparently not because the horse gets up and trots away like it's fine when I really, really appreciated that they let us see that the horse was OK. Right. Because I think everyone would have been upset. I was like, no, I can't believe that this poor right. horse because it was a Numenorean horse, too. That's true. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was really very generous and kind of the showrunners or the director to let us know that the horse was OK. I really appreciated that. This was actually also the, the fir- I think the first moment where we notice that Adar has black blood. When, yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, when, I didn't notice until yeah, didn't later, notice. but you're right. He has black blood and it was like, OK, so the, the theory that he is one of the original proto orcs, that's pretty much confirmed, especially with what they say later. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Halbrand asks Adar if he remembers him. And all and and Adar begs off, he says, I, I don't remember you and starts mm-hmm. to taunt him and saying, like, who did I kill? You know, was was it your wife, your child? I'm thinking maybe if. I'm thinking maybe father, because we've we've had hints that Halbrand had a father who died. Mm-hmm. So that that could be what's going on here. Um, but we also know that Halbrand had to do something horrible. That's true. Yeah. So I almost wonder if maybe he made Halbrand kill someone that he loved or something like that. Which well, he has Waldrake do. Last episode, yeah. right? Only blood can bind. Yeah. And Halbrand has said on several occasions that, like, if you knew what I've done, you'd cast yeah. me out. He's obviously done something horrific, but Adar just doesn't remember him, apparently, because he's probably done that to thousands of people. people. 
has gone through all these villas. Yeah, because yeah. I'm kind of curious if we, how many people actually live in the Southlands? Because it's got to be more than just this tiny village and this surrounding area. So I'm kind of curious if we'll see more men or more, you know, more, maybe they've already been destroyed, but kind of just curious to see if there's any more people there or if that was, if this was just it in the, in the area. And they, they mentioned that they've, they've marched all the way from like, I think they say the gray mountains or something, which is like yeah. in the North of Wilderland. So mm-hmm. I'm like, if, if they've marched essentially all the length of middle earth from North to South, pretty much of like that Northwestern continent area, I'm like, who knows how many people they've enslaved or killed along the way. So Galadriel stops Halbrand from giving the coup de grace to Adar. <laughs> and she ends up interrogating him and names him as one of the Moriandor, the sons of the dark, elves taken by Morgoth and corrupted into the first orcs. And Adar says, we prefer Uruk. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I I did look up the. I was curious after this if that if that was something that where where orc is just a corruption of uruk, right? And from what I could what I could see in my quick web searching that it wasn't necessarily that it was. I think I read that Tolkien may have taken the word orc from prior um, prior legends and and stories, so it wasn't necessarily he was. But it, I, but I like that. That's how they in the show that they're kind of that Uruk or Orc is a corruption of of Uruk. Um, just a, just from an etymological etymological perspective, just because uh, I, I kind of like that as a as a headcanon of how they rather than even rather than Tolkien just finding the word Orc that they call themselves this, but everybody hears this, so it's kind of like um, you know how. It happens in the real world where you're if during war or in a, in a your enemy calls themselves something and you kind of come up with a quick name like Nazi is short for something else. It, but that's right, what everybody yeah. knows them as. So I did kind of like that little that little um, you know story aspect. It also reminded me of when the elves first came across the dwarves in the Silmarillion that the dwarves had a name for themselves. But that the elves were like, nah, we're just going to call you this other, you know, the stunted people. Yeah, we're just going to give you these real mean nicknames. It's like, gee, I I wonder where this bad blood between elves and dwarves come from. (laughs) Right. But it kind of just reminded me of that. They're like kind of refusing to to acknowledge that the Uruk are their own group of people. Right. Regardless of however evil they are, they see themselves as as something distinct and with a name. And that's interesting because that, that his, he, he gets into kind of a philosophical discussion with Galadriel, which actually ties into what he says happened to Sauron. Cause he says that after Morgoth is defeated by the Valar, Sauron repents for a time and tries to heal middle earth, which I think is something taken from the Silmarillion or at least hinted mm-hmm. at in the Silmarillion and that he wanted to create perfect order uh, to craft a power, not of the flesh, but over flesh, the power of the unseen world. And to do this, he starts experimenting on orcs, which gets Adar, you know, Adar views them as his children, his people, you know, and he claims at this point 
to have killed Sauron over this. So I'm I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on this whole story that he tells about Sauron in the Second Age. So I had this this is I don't think this is any way true, but I'm this I had this crazy thought when he when Adar said that 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 whoever that when Adar kills who he thinks is Sauron, and maybe he did kill a version of Sauron, maybe like a physical manifestation of Sauron, that that manifestation is Halbrand's father. <laughs> now I don't think that's true, mm. but I had that kind of like. So there could be I I I know we'll talk a little bit later about it, but I. I'm not, I'm in the, I'm leaning against Halbrand being Sauron. So, but I thought mm-hmm. that's kind of a way that both everybody can kind of have their, <laughs> have their, <laughs> have their say or have their, you know, theory be true that he's both, he's Sauron, but not Sauron. But, but yeah, no, that was, that was interesting. So I'm very curious to see what it, if we see what that, you know, is that true from a certain point of view or, you know, did he actually kill something that he thought was Sauron, but, Sauron used his, you know, his power to make Adar think, because Sauron could have been pursued by not only Galadriel and the elves, but by forces that were, you know, he thought were his when he, because he was Morgoth's, uh, you know, lieutenant. So he would have tried to get everybody to follow him. And there may have been people that may have been, you know, factions that didn't, other Maiar or other, um, you know, other beings. So... I thought it was really, really interesting, especially because we know Sauron did initially repent or he at least wanted to repent because he speaks to Aonwe, I think it is, who's one of the heralds of the Valar. And Aonwe is like, well, you need to come with me all the way to Valinor so that you can repent before the Valar themselves, because Aonwe doesn't have the authority to pardon Sauron. And so after hearing that, Sauron is like, well... I don't think I don't want to risk it because he doesn't want to risk having any kind of like harsh punishment. And so it's after that, then he kind of flees to do his own thing. And I, I do think he genuinely was maybe a little bit repentant at the beginning, but then it kind of just became like a desire for control. Like he, he thinks that he knows best and he wants to order everything the way that he thinks it should be, which, you know, ends it it's not good for most people. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, as, as a servant of Aule initially, he yeah. would be interested in order. Yeah. Mm. And, and crafting things. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was cool to kind of hear, like, this is the story Sauron would have told people around him, you know, that right. I want to make the world a better place. Follow me. Um, but then for Adar to have seen how dark that, plan actually was and then to kind of mutiny against him um i thought the whole dynamic was really cool yeah because clearly sauron views the orcs as disposable paper people you know Mm -hmm. they 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 mean nothing to him which adar says each one of us has a name a heart and here's where i really was like yes show yes he says (laughs) We are creations of the one, the master of the secret fire, the same as you, worthy of the breath of life. So they they finally acknowledge the God figure of Middle Earth, Eru Iluvatar, not by name, but as his moniker, the one. Mm -hmm. And I just thought we know that 
I believe T Tolkien later in life struggled with this very question. Are the orcs redeemable? And it, mm -hmm. it's just, I just find it fascinating that they're bringing up that topic in this show. So what, what do you guys think? Are, are orcs redeemable? I think, so I'm, I, from what I've read about it, which I did do a little bit of looking into kind of some of the works I, in leading up to this, just because it was, I, I wasn't sure what kind of Tolkien's own thought was. And I think I kind of land on where if, if an orc was wanting to be repentant, then, or, you know, if an orc surrendered and was repentant to follow the will of Iluvatar, you would have to accept that. But I don't think, I think in reality, the orcs are so twisted by this point, even, you know, even the first orcs are so twisted they would not really do that in any way that they would just, they would die fighting. And if they get captured, they would probably fight amongst themselves uh, more than they would try to actually repent and go have a life, um, you know, live it, you know, live in prison, live as prisoners or whatever the case may be. So I think while I think theoretically, yes, they can be redeemed, but I think practically an orc works would never just by their, by their corruption. So, uh, you know, from their, from their nature perspective, they are creations. They wouldn't be creations of Iluvatar. I think Tolkien kind of felt more toward that, that Melkor and later Morgoth would not have had the power to create life out of nothing um, or even, even really create life itself. I think he would have had to, um, Although I don't know, because now that I'm thinking of Ali and making the he made the dwarves, so But he didn't give know. them life though. True. He yeah, made their so, bodies. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I could I was trying to remember if it was if Ali made them and that they were somehow alive, but then the Luvatar then he had to appeal to a Luvatar to, to actually bring them alive. But that's pretty they, much they what were alive, too. but they were alive in the way that like a video game character will yeah, stop were, moving if you stop controlling them, if you set down the they controller. Didn't have a will. They didn't have yeah, a goal of their own. They, they were, were completely dependent on Ale being like specifically focused on them. So then Aluvatar gave them the breath of like actual life of their own. Yeah, yeah. so I think I, I'm leaning more toward that while they could be redeemed, I don't think in reality an orc would ever be redeemed. Uh, I just don't think I think that's an interesting it works being kind of protagonists in other stories and other outside of Tolkien, I think is they can be interesting because I've, you know, I've played some game video games and read other literature where these kind of dark races, whether they're orcs or dark elves, whatever, while they're considered evil, they individuals can't actually overcome that. But I think in Tolkien, we, it was never presented in the text. And so I don't think, I think the show can do whatever they want to, but it won't, I don't think it would be very Tolkien-esque if they did have an orc come back to be redeemed. So I think Adar is kind of a good, like, happy medium between that so you can have he's he's more of a he's kind of more half elf half work than full work if that kind of makes sense but i'm interested to see what you guys think of all think of this yeah i think he is in terms of adar because he can um he loves the sunlight he's sad to see the sun go and yet he has black blood so he's definitely some at some halfway point which is interesting that he wasn't ever fully transformed. Um, 
But I found someone on Twitter shared this quote from uh, the history of Middle Earth, and it's in volume 10, Myths Transformed. And there's a whole paragraph about this question with the orcs, whether they're redeemable or not. But I'll just read one sentence. He says they might have become irredeemable, at least by elves and men, but they remained within the law. And this was because uh, they were created and given life from Iluvatar. Um, but I like that he says that they, I mean, at this point, they were basically, at least at this point in Tolkien's thought about them, they were basically irredeemable on the part of elves and men. They maybe um, the Valar or Iluvatar himself could have stepped in and redeemed them, but elves and men really didn't have any other option. There's no way that they could have rehabilitated the orcs, it seems. Right. I definitely think their their sort of free will has been compromised in a sense. Mm-hmm. They're they're not fully automatons, but their ability to to choose the good, I think, has totally been degraded to the point where they they are they're almost sort of animalistic. You know, where like an animal you know, can't really choose good or bad. It doesn't have that sort of moral schema. And it's almost like I don't think they've totally reached that level of degradation, but I just think their ability to choose good has been so compromised that I don't know if an orc actually would. And at mm-hmm. that point, yeah, the the only person who could redeem them or save them in any way would have to be a Luvatar himself. It's just beyond the ability of any of the races, maybe even of the Valar, to do so. It's a really sad situation, and it's I was amazed that the show brought this into the the story. Like I, my rating of the show went up like five thousand points after this right. conversation because, like, when they like they're showing us that they get it. Um, like I haven't had a lot of trust in the showrunners up until this point, because I don't feel like they've earned it yet. You know, they haven't, they haven't tied up the stories that they're setting. And um, especially with the Mithril thing last week, <laughs> uh, I was like, I had one foot out the door. I was like, what are you guys doing here? Right. And then they bring in this whole thing about this. It's like this whole theology about the orcs. Um, I was like, okay, I trust you guys at least a lot more than I did last week. Um, I was really, really happy. Yeah, and I th- it's I think it's one thing to show because it, it is interesting. Even if we're not saying that they're re- that they're redeemable, but it is interesting that you see some orcs having more of a m- more of a self determination. Because in the and pa- at least and again, I'm going back to the films which I'm more familiar with, but I've read the other stuff. But it seems usually their orcs are under the command of you know of either Valar like like Morgoth or their, or, you know, Maiar Sauron or some, or, or yeah, or, or a wizard, which are Maiar. So they're usually under the command of somebody, something who's basically a God or an angel type of level of power. And this is kind of the first time we're seeing them that it's, they're under, at least as far as we know, they're just under command of this, this one guy who's, you know, is maybe immortal in the sense of the elves being immortal but is not, you know, at least as we have seen him, is not is not a, you know, someone who has power like a Valar or a Maiar. 
Yeah. And it, now it, it, there's an interesting parallel in this scene, because just as Galadriel stopped Halbrand from killing Adar before, now it's reversed. Um, Halbrand stops Galadriel from terminating, liter- literally terminating this interrogation, um, which leads... <laughs> which is, yeah. I was just going to say, it's funny because 10 seconds ago, she said, I'm going to destroy every single last one of your children, but I'm going to keep you alive and, right. and torment you the whole time. And then 10 seconds later, she's like, actually, I'm going to kill you right now. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Adar even tells her, it's like, maybe your search for Sauron should have ended in the mirror. Yeah. Which uh, finally because someone calls her out on that, you know, like. Like it, if they do, if the orcs are created by Iluvatar, you know, like she's. She's on, kind of on the path to this, like, genocide. Um, like, she really comes across as the bad guy in this in this conversation. Even, even like, and once, I feel very sympathetic to Adar, even though I know he's a bad guy, obviously. Um, but I just feel like his point of view, like, the way that he sees her as, like, you're pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. going to kill every single one of my children and then kill me. Like, I don't know. That's just a mean thing to say to anybody. Which which leads us into this very odd scene of Galadriel and Halbrand talking after the battle. And I was like, I don't know how to interpret this scene because they, they, they have some some very kind of like moments that you only sort of do in sort of a post battle romantic context and and uh, like i thought to myself either they're lovers now or he's sauron because he says some really mm-hmm. weird stuff he says like that by by fighting at her side he wants to take that feeling that he felt and bind it to my very being and i'm like that's like something sauron would say why are you saying uh-huh. that i'm like <laughs> Like that that's either a really botched attempt at saying something romantic or you are sauron so, so what uh, in terms of one uh, a score of one through ten, like how much are you guys feeling that Halbrand might be Sauron? So for me, so if we're saying ten is he's he's Sauron, he's definitely one, Sauron. One he's definitely not. I'm, I think I'm a, I think I'm a three point five. So I, I'm still my my theory. Um, I, I still think he's going to be the king of the Oathbreakers. That that will make an oath to Isildur who then breaks it. And then is, is a ghost for thousands of years until return of the King when Aragorn calls them to fulfill the oath. So I, that's my current theory. I, I'm a, I think this episode, I'm a little bit more lean. I, I've, it, it bumped him up from probably a two to a 3.5 for me. Uh, I still think there's, I still think Sauron is, we haven't seen, and I don't know that we'll even see him this season. When we, I think he's more in the background and behind the scenes whispering in, you know, Kel Brimbor's ear. And I think we've seen enough of Halbrand kind of on his own when no one else is in the room, which I said last week that when you see him kind of in the, in the room by himself, he's still acting like Halbrand. So I, I'm, still leaning that way and i i don't think he's sauron but it, it did it his suspect level did did tend to go up a little bit this week for me um so that's my what do y'all think 
in this scene, he seemed a lot less like Sauron. He, I think what they're doing is every guy ever falls in love with Galadriel. Like we see it in the Lord of the Rings, you know, like Gimli's in love with her. All the hobbits are falling all over themselves for her. Like that's just Galadriel. Like everyone falls in love with her. So I can see Halbrand being like, you know, this feeling I have when I'm with you, I want to have it forever because it's such a good feeling because you're so great, you know, and, and Galadriel's kind of like, uh, yeah, um, you know, because everyone falls in love with her. So like I can kind of see her just being like, yeah, I feel it too, because she doesn't want him to like not finish the job that he's here for. I can right. see her being like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Another guy's falling in love with me. Um, if she's falling in love with him, I do not like that at all. Yeah, so, do not want. Absolutely not. But so this scene, I felt like he was more of just a regular guy who's got some kind of destiny. Um, but what got me was at the beginning of this episode, when Isildur is on the boat and he gets up to go see Beric, the, um, the camera pans over to Halbrand and he's just laying there awake. Oh, yeah. And I was immediately like, evil does not sleep. so then i like my sauron meter went way up at that point um but i i still feel like there's just no way there's just no way um so i feel like i'm more like out of four kind of similar to you yeah i think i think and i think someone on our discord pointed this out that it's uh every we're all guessing at who sauron is and it's kind of just there's a lot of misdirects for the sake of misdirects Mm -hmm. which which is interesting, but yeah, if it, if it if it's just a whole, if it's just another season of this of introducing every new character, and we all are suspecting everyone new of being Sauron. It's that would get a little old. So I'm hoping we kind of get more get a resolution of more or solidification of who these mystery characters are that we don't know because Halbrand we don't know for sure um, as we're seeing. So I'm hoping. But I still think he's an he's the Oathbreaker King. Um, I can't remember if the character actually has a name, but I think he's that's kind of where I'm leaning. What about you, Thomas? Yeah, I I, I think I th- like my pet theory is that he's the King of the Oathbreakers. But like at the end, after my first watch through of this episode, I was kind of like at a six, maybe that he's Sauron because like I, I I that was just, that scene was just so odd that it just. And I, I could feel like, oh, I could see in a sort of weird fan fiction kind of way them making him Sauron, you know, like like I could see like, you know, as, as just a bad writing decision, I could see them making him Sauron. But when I, I really thought about it afterwards, I'm like, you know what? They want what we're doing right now. They want us to all be speculating about who is yeah. Sauron, who is Sauron, who is Sauron, when probably, as we've said before, we haven't even seen him yet. So I think really when I think about it, yeah, it's more like what you guys said at like a two or a three. But I've, every once in a while, they throw us these hints of mm-hmm. him him saying these odd things. But, you know, for, for all we know, nothing about his past. For all we know, he may have had some contact with Sauron and that's why he kind of says you know almost Sauron's ideology sometimes you know yeah and and when he says you don't know what I did beforehand he could have been 
under this, you know, in the service of Sauron for like right. a long time, maybe. Um, I also think I noticed at the end of the episode when the volcano is erupting, Halbrand is directing villagers like, you know, get behind the wall, get behind the wall, get behind me. He's protecting them. And I feel like if he were Sauron at that point, wouldn't you just be chilling like like you are kind burn. of getting, you know, like he could have just snuck somewhere else and just sat, yep. you know, and, and watched it. But the fact that he's still helping villagers, either he's so deep undercover. I don't I don't know. It seemed like another sign to me that he's not Sauron. Yeah. And he he saved us, uh, Alindil's life in the in the battle because it was true. when he yeah. when was getting taken down and Isildur was rushing to save him you think Isildur's going to do it but then Halbrand does it instead so if uh it, so if Sauron say if if it is if Halbrand is Sauron he just saved his the he just saved the life of the dad of the guy who's going <laughs> to who's going to destroy him, him. yeah <laughs> right. and, and, and 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 by the you know, by the transitive property of having children will just will lead to his destruction. Right. That's true. Aragorn, what Aragorn does. And it's like how he saved Galadriel earlier. Like he, there were no witnesses. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you have saved her if you were Sauron? It doesn't make any sense. Now, uh, speaking of the volcanic eruption, uh, the writers are hoping you forgot about Waldreg, but he appears again <laughs> because the, it turns out the whole time the shard that Adar had was a decoy and he sent Waldreg back to the tower to literally use it as a giant key to unleash uh, the the lake that had been dammed up. Which it, It's actually a very clever plan. All the water kind of goes into these tunnels the orcs have been making and into Mount Doom and causes this eruption and everything and the the eruption scene is great is like it Mm -hmm. it it's exactly the kind of terror and chaos that like a mount saint helens style volcanic eruption should be and but they they did at the end the really silly movie thing where they have a character get engulfed by the pyroclastic flow and (laughs) uh, and will apparently survive the heated right. gas and volcanic glass and all that stuff. So <laughs> Galadriel. Those Noldor, they're right. just so. She has plot armor, so she will survive. Resilient. <laughs> what did you guys think of the eruption? Yeah, so I, yeah, my, I, so just going back to the, the plan. So I didn't catch it on the first time, the first watch, but then in the, on my second, when I was watching it, you see Adar as he's about to flee. say, Waldrick, I have a task for you. Yep. And mm-hmm. my whole thought was when, no one checked the bag, which I mean, we've just we've <laughs> lived we've lived through a pandemic. When you're picking up food, you check your bag to make sure you got it the right order. Yes. So I was, or someone else pointed out is like, you know, if, if Galadriel was a mom, she would have checked the bag because you check the bag to make sure you have all the stuff that you <laughs> that you need. So that I thought that was a little, I guess, a little bit of a weak point that nobody bothered to see what this whole because th- Galadriel would have never seen the the thing so she wouldn't, she wouldn't have, known have known she she could was. have opened it and saw the little the little hatchet and thought that's what she was supposed to bring back right true yeah but arondir should have like checked it yeah, yeah before giving it to theo which was yeah. a terrible idea by the way you know this kid is tempted by it yet you give it to him right. anyway yeah but uh so that was that was just a little bit of i just thought it was funny but then yeah the experience 
visually the explosion was uh and the, and the whole plan was was very it was very cool to watch it was terrifying but very cool and i did google after the fact can water make a volcano explode because i was like because <laughs> oh. i wasn't sure i'm not a scientist so i was but it, but from the quick googling it said it it can uh oh, okay if you introduce water to magma it can cause the i guess the soup it superheats the the water to make vapor and it can make it explode so oh wow yeah i saw a couple um twitter threads that were like Hi, geologist here. Yeah. Let me explain why this would work perfectly. And I, I didn't read the thread, but I was like, you know what? If they say, then whatever. I, I'm here to just watch this show. I'm not here to think about the science behind well, it. Yeah, especially because I, a long ago, I decided that Middle Earth volcanoes don't work like volcanoes in the real world because Frodo and Sam in the real world would have been overcome by the fumes in the Samoth now mm-hmm. and the ambient heat would have burned them up. Long before, like, they wouldn't have had a chance to throw the ring. And so I'm like, this is a fantasy. The volcanoes don't, like, lava, you know, like, it, forget mm-hmm. about it. You know, <laughs> it's just, but yeah, definitely an epic ending. And I loved the ending because I thought, I don't know where we go from here. Everything the yeah. Numenorians were trying to do is ruined. And, <laughs> you know, we, ne- the, the, the bad guy won at the end. And I, I don't know where we go from here. So, uh. Uh, what what are, what are you guys excited about for the 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 final two episodes of you know wrapping up this season? Yeah, so I, just when you were talking about that, what did the Norm, Numenorians plan fail? Is just thinking this is how the Queen Regent loses her power because she mm. started this mission and it blew literally blew up in their face. Yeah, and so they're gonna she's <laughs> gonna return to Numenor in shame and leaving. And you know we haven't checked back in with Numenor since. Uh, the show is just like it feels like you these episodes these story like it feels like so long ago that they left Numenor, but it was just a couple just two or three episodes ago that they were or even an episode ago that they left. So I'm curious to kind of see if we'll check back in with Numenor next episode on the island and, and see what Farazan's up to. Um, you know, maybe this is how he kind of makes his bid for power. Um uh, but yeah, this yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen in and I, I feel like everybody's going to have to evacuate and uh, get out of there, so I can see kind of the Numenorians bringing the bring these villagers at least out. Which I don't know my geography of Middle Earth, but if if Halbrand's going to establish a kingdom somewhere, um, you know, it wouldn't be in Mordor. So, right, so we'll, we unless can, he's Sauron. Yeah, <laughs> unless he's Sauron. So, then he's yeah, already true. the king. <laughs> so. There's obviously going to be some kind of I mean, I feel like we've seen from every promo video ever of Galadriel standing up, kind of staggering around and there's ashes everywhere. So obviously we're going to see Galadriel getting up from this that she somehow survived. Um, assuming there's going to be other survivors, they're going to have to go somewhere. Um, so I'm assuming we're also going to see something to do with the Harfoots. Right. Um, maybe the place that they're going to is going to be destroyed. I'm kind of curious about if they're going to then have to come up with a, a backup plan for where they migrate to. Maybe the grove that they're going to has been burnt up or something. And then we've also got the stranger. He's got to something's got to happen with him. Um, yeah, I think the next if they're, the trailer for the next episode was out and it does show the Harfoots and and seeing seeing the dwarves again. So I think. Maybe 
I, I hope we don't leave a whole episode of not checking, not seeing, you know, the chaos here, which there were scenes of Galadriel in the kind of the smoky ruins. So I think we'll see, you know, some of that. So, and I also kind of was wondering, because we've seen the Balrog in the trailer, maybe this yeah. was part of this explosion was part of the waking of the Balrog because the promo does talk about them, uh, about mining too deep. I think the King, King Durin is afraid of mining too deep. So maybe a combo of that and, you know, the Balrog sensing power from this eruption could lead to, uh, could lead to the Balrog waking up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely think there, because I know in the actual lore, the Balrog destroys Moria in the third age, but I think they're moving that up way farther so that it happens in the second age instead. I hope. Yeah, that's another one of those things where it's like, if they do that, I don't know what what I'll do. (laughs) But I guess I've made it this far. Right. (laughs) Every episode, I'm like, okay, I can accept this. I definitely think that this was probably the the most consistently good out of all the episodes. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't really a moment where it really lost me or I felt like it really derailed. I like that it really kind of focused on just one story and we weren't jumping around all the time but uh, yeah i agree so yeah did, uh did you guys have any uh any other closing thoughts on this episode no nothing for me other than uh you know, i meant to say it earlier but when a rondeer was fighting the big giant orc it reminded me of the scene in indiana jones when he's fighting the big giant nazi guy and he's, <laughs> he's, he's doing all these moves and all this, all, you know, all this parkour type stuff and the big orcs just punching him. Just <laughs> punches him in the face. <laughs> just punches yeah. him and knocks him down. So, um, no, that was, I think that's all I had. Yeah, I thought this was my favorite episode so far. It definitely brought me back. Um, it it gained a lot of favor for, for the show in general, especially after episode five was so baffling and, <laughs> and frustrating. Um, I'm not really excited to go on to next episode when I'm sure we'll get to learn more about Mithril, their version <laughs> of Mithril. I just like if we could just stay with this one plot. This is my favorite plot line. Right. And so I know we're since we got a full episode of it this week, we're probably not going to get as much next week. And I'm just not looking forward to that. Um, but I loved this episode. I would probably give this like a nine out of 10, which is yeah. way higher than I would give any of these other episodes. Um, so yeah, I was really happy this week. Okay. Well, that's it from us. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of middle earth, including Victor C, Jeffrey J, Carla S, Charles H and Matthew S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible. For us to continue the secrets of Middle-Earth and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them at sqpn.com slash git. This StarQuest show is brought to you by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness through personalized nutrition, workout and prayer programs, and daily accountability check-ins. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. We'd love to hear what you think of the Rings of Power. You can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Send an email to Middle Earth at SQPN or visit our channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash Discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the seventh episode of The Rings of Power. 
Until then, Jeff Hecker, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Middle Earth. Thank you, Thomas. And Caitlin Fasista, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. And once again, I'm Thomas Salerno, and thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious.